The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. We're sipping and savoring because this is where knowledge and inspiration is served up every Sunday. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I believe that the culinary landscape is ever evolving. So just by tuning in, you'll hear from chefs, pastry aficionados, restaurateurs, sommeliers, spirit experts, food bloggers, cookbook authors, and more. And it's my goal to take your cooking skills to the next level. This is the coolest culinary conversation on the radio. And whether you love to cook or just love to eat, you are bound to find something you'll love on this show. And be sure to check out chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com, as I'm always serving up seconds with features, forums, recipes, cooking videos, and more. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. And you can hear podcasts of this program on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. So the summer is heating up across the country and July 4th weekend is coming up and you want to stay cool, right? Well, I like to say stay Latin cool. Just in time for a Stars and Stripes celebration, I think Agua Fresca is a wonderful way to hydrate a crowd. Spanish for fresh water, Agua Frescas are all I want to drink during the months of summer. And in Mexico and all over Latin America, agua frescas are sold by street vendors throughout the cities and the towns during spring and summer months. Now, I love that you can have that custom at home as well. Typically made with fruits, grains, and seeds, agua frescas also include water, sugar, and sometimes herbs or spices, but that's pretty much it. They are so thirst-quenching, and they're super simple to make, and you can easily tweak a recipe to your liking and have a signature agua fresca this summer by adding soda water for bubbles or alcohol like rum or tequila if you want a spiked agua fresca. Now, thanks to modern-day globalization... You can actually find ready-made options of agua frescas at the Latin supermarkets. But I have to say that whipping up a batch of your own for next weekend's barbecue or whether you have friends and family coming over and you keep a beautiful big glass jar on the counter with your infused water, it's really a wonderful way to take advantage of the bounty of budget-friendly fresh ingredients from your local farmer's market. Now, your creativity is the limit when it comes to presenting your potion to your party guests. And one of the most refreshing ways to make an agua fresca, if you are a novice, is to simply use your favorite melon of choice. Now, here in Los Angeles, where I'm based... 
every taco stand has a big jar of brightly colored agua fresca standing by. But you don't have to be eating a drippy carnitas taco to enjoy the thirst-quenching pure flavor. You can enjoy it at home because all you need is a blender or a food processor to puree the fruit. And then you need a fine mesh strainer or even just cheesecloth to strain away the pulp. And then from there... Any ripe fruit is fair game. I like to play around with the fruit and herb combinations, or you can try one of the basic blends. Like I make a mango agua fresca. I think it has that beautiful, subtle sweetness from the inherent beauty of a mango. And you can substitute watermelon, cantaloupe, or honeydew. And the way that I consider uh, the best agua fresca method is by using this ratio. I use two cups of fruit to every one cup of cold water. So you'll start with, let's say, two cups of cubed mango or cut into chunks from the fruit. Just peel, pit, and cut the fruit into chunks. You do the same with watermelon or cantaloupe or even honeydew. And then puree it, whether you're using your food processor or your blender, until it's completely smooth. Then strain it through your sieve or through cheesecloth and discard the pulp, leaving yourself with that sweet, delicious fruit juice. You'll then add cold water. So to two cups of fruit, one cup of cold water, about a teaspoon of lime juice. I like the bright, beautiful acidity that adds to the sweetness or the balance of the agua fresca. And then usually a teaspoon or so of your favorite sweetener. You can actually stir in granulated or raw sugar if you like. I like to use agave syrup or make a simple syrup as well. And then maybe some mint leaves for garnish. And once you chill it down, you always want to serve it over ice, by the way. You have this beautiful fruit-infused water. Now, I'll make a combination of different flavors when it comes to herbs as well, like honeydew basil I love together. Um, or you could do watermelon with a hint of chili if you like it spicy. And I like to spike mine, of course. A little bit of rum or tequila when you're ready to serve. Or you can always float a spritzer, as I like to say, over the top with a little bit of soda water, or some people will use lemon-lime soda if you like, depending upon your spirit preference. Agua frescas are full of flavor and really a fabulous way to create a signature drink this summer. So check it out. I've posted some flavor combinations on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen, and it is a summer of agua fresca. So now that you have a drink... What will you eat, right? Well, for July 4th grilling this coming Friday, if you're planning for burgers, you have to hear this. I was reading a terrific piece on Tasting Table online, and it was all about a better burger. We know that plenty of hamburger purists wouldn't dream of tweaking their burger patty. And if that's you, I completely respect a sprinkle of salt and then straight to the grill. But the godfather of American food writing, James Beard, actually liked to bend the rules sometimes. And in his favorite burger recipe, it is written that he would take his burger patties and suspend or stuff inside the patty a tablespoon or so of cold compound butter as he shaped it. 
Now, you seriously have to try it because I did this past week and I have to tell you, it is a brilliant, better burger. So combine your favorite unsalted butter with the seasonings of your choice, salt, pepper. You could do a little bit of hatch chili powder. You could do garlic powder if you like. I like some chopped fresh parsley leaves and you can even smash an anchovy if you like the seasoning flavor as well. Then you'll combine it to make a compound butter and you'll put a tablespoon of that butter in the center of your hamburger patty before it goes on the grill. Make sure that the ground meat is completely encompassing of the tablespoon of flavored butter. As the meat cooks on the grill, the butter melts throughout the patty and it seasons as it goes. And if that sounds pretty dreamy to you, it's because it is so good. By the way, I'd like to hear about your better burgers after the July 4th weekend. You can always email me direct, jamie at chefjamie.com. It is my goal to hopefully make you a better cook in your own kitchen, to contribute to a better life because I believe food feeds your soul. And so every week I inspire you to think like a chef and I post a feature on the website at chefjamie.com that hopefully stirs up a little culinary inspiration. And this week's Think Like a Chef feature is in praise of mushrooms. For many years, the only commercial mushroom that was grown in the U.S. was the round-capped button mushroom, right? Well, today, exotic mushrooms are easily accessible, and I love their natural flavors, their savory texture, the umami. I've actually listed a lesson in mushrooms on the website. Everything from what you need to know when buying mushrooms to how to store them as well. And some simple suggestions as to how you can quickly saute them with butter, garlic, and salt and put them over a good piece of toast to uh, maybe throwing them into a pasta dish or stir-fried vegetables or Asian noodle dishes or even uh, strewn them atop your steak come this uh, July 4th weekend. So check it out in praise of mushrooms and a few mushroom recipes as well at chefjamie.com. There's a few things you won't want to miss on the website as well. I have a Stars and Stripes cocktail that is layered to achieve that red, white, and blue effect. The weekly dish is a simple quick dinner that is filled with creamy umami flavor. I was inspired by mushrooms and I always keep a log of boursin cheese in the house. I think it's a great chef's tip because whether you need a last minute cheese plate to come together or a creamy sauce for pasta or a fast stuffing for uh, dried dates, that's the perfect cocktail snack, by the way. Boursin allows you to create something scrumptious on a whim. And so I've written a recipe for chicken with boursin mushroom sauce that I love to throw together last minute. And again, it's posted on the site. A fresh fruit crisp as well. Oh, and an excerpted recipe from the Cool House ice cream book. If you want to serve ice cream sandwiches for your Independence Day celebration, there is a killer recipe on the site. And if you're looking for a new grocery shopping experience, if you haven't been to a Smart and Final store lately, I want to make sure you know that they're better than ever. 
Smart and Final offers everything your supermarket does in terms of fresh produce, a wine selection, uh, dairy, meats, everything from a club store with sizes large and small, but no membership required to reap the benefits of those low prices. They also offer exclusive brands at Smart and Final, just like national brands, and they guarantee if you don't love their products, they'll give you your money back. Their cashiers are quick. The aisles are big enough to get a couple of shopping carts through without hurting anyone. (laughs) Just making sure you're shopping at Smart and Final for your July 4th menu or just your weekly shopping needs. Check it out. Let me know what you think of the better than ever Smart and Final. And check out their specials this week. You'll find First Street Boneless Skinless Chicken Breasts at $1.99 a pound. Great price on pork spare ribs, on sweet seedless watermelon, and fresh blueberries too. And be sure to stay tuned because there's more delicious conversation coming up in your radio. We're celebrating the Stars and Stripes with July 4th grilling ideas from Chef Tom Douglas, the Seattle restaurateur so much loved, and the ice cream sandwich inspiration I mentioned from the Cool House creator Natasha Case. Plus, we're dishing on brassicas coming up next. They are a powerhouse veggie that is full of fabulous flavor, so don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'll be right back. Open your mind and expand your palate because we do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. In fact, in the New York Times Sunday book review, William Grimes claims that this is a star cookbook, and I agree. I was so excited when I saw this cookbook come across my desk because the rising popularity of brassicas thrills me. Brassicas, you ask? Yes, the family of vegetables that includes broccoli and Brussels and sprouts and cabbage and even arugula, which are just a few of my favorite things, in fact. I am delighted to share with you the new cookbook release that is all the buzz because kale has taken the world by storm. There is hardly a restaurant around that doesn't have Brussels sprouts on the menu. And it's the rising popularity of brassicas that are getting, I think, their final due. Not only are they of superfood status and of extraordinary health benefits, but they can taste absolutely delicious. This proven so much better by the fact that Laura Russell has written the book on cooking the world's healthiest vegetables, whether it's kale or rutabaga or bok choy, she knows it. And the book Brassicas has just released. It is a feast for the eye as much as the palate. And I am delighted to share with you Laura Russell in your radio food writer and recipe developer and the author of the new cookbook release by the name Brassicas. It's a pleasure to have you, Laura, and congratulations. The New York Times loves you. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. That's so exciting for me. It's quite a coup, really. I thought it was a, a really beautifully written piece about the fact that, as he mentions, travelogue cookbooks and magnum opus cookbooks um, can often be questionable, but that he noted his favorites and that you were one of them. I think it says so much about the recipes and the writing, but it very much says something to the effect of, uh, this beautiful vegetable is worthy of conversation. And you've been preaching that for a long time. I have. A lot of people still think they don't like these vegetables. And one reason for that is what they know is mushy, overcooked Brussels sprouts or boiled cauliflower or things that 
just didn't showcase the vegetables correctly. So I really wanted to turn that around and show people that that these vegetables all can taste fantastic. And that they can. One of my favorite aspects of your book is that you list the flavor profile of each brassica from mild to pungent. So could you take us on that sort of range of vegetables and give us the information about the hardiest ones and their flavor profiles? That's another thing I think that's a misconception is a lot of people just think of all of these vegetables as being bitter. And a few of them are bitter in a pleasant way, but there's really quite a range. So some of them are very, very mild bok choy, kohlrabi, napa cabbage, even cauliflower, these vegetables can taste grassy and nutty and even a little bit sweet. Then we move to some stronger flavored vegetables, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, collard greens, and kale. Mm. And a lot of these are earthy, maybe a little bit pleasantly bitter, the key here is just not to overcook them, and they, they may have strong flavors, but they're still pleasant. Then you move into some of my favorites, the ones that are peppery, arugula, watercress, radishes, and turnips. They taste so good on their own, oh, my and then once you can mix them with proper pairings, they're even extra delicious. Yes. And my final category is pungent. These are things like horseradish, mustard greens, wasabi. One of my favorite things to say about these vegetables is I enjoy anything that ends with a sneeze. They kind of clear your sinuses. (laughs) I like that concept too. We put horseradish on a lot of things in my house, I will say. I love the spectrum because I think you really spoke to the fact that you can expand your horizons and find a new vegetable, no matter the season, that will work into your culinary repertoire. And it makes me think of culinary memories that I have, like training in New Orleans and cooking collard greens, this good old southern green, but a chef teaching me to add a splash of raspberry vinegar and a pinch of sugar to take away the bitterness. And you had this beautiful, savory, really rich, hearty vegetarian dish um, that was transformed from its original state. I think a very important thing in cooking these vegetables is finding that balance. You touched on one way to do that is to add something, you know, just a hint of sweetness. And you don't need to do that by pouring on sugar, you know, and making the dish actually sweet. But you can balance it. Like you said, you could use raspberry vinegar, balsamic, or caramelized onions, or coconut, or tomatoes. Just something that has that inherent sweetness, and it makes a beautiful final balanced dish. I love that you talk about techniques as well that make brassicas shine. And you speak about roasting. And I talk about roasting vegetables a lot on this show because I'll take an entire head of cauliflower and break it into florets or cut it into florets, olive oil, salt, pepper, high heat oven. And 15 or so minutes later, you have really good sort of golden caramelization. You still have an al dente vegetable. Um, You have the flavor profile of cauliflower, which we love in my house. But there are other ways that I was intrigued to see you are cooking brassicas. Like you have a thing for bok choy and you put it on your barbecue. Yes. 
when I was cooking with bok choy, I was trying to think of some ways to use it that weren't just so traditionally Asian, you know, the stir fries or steaming. And those are delicious, but I thought, what could I do to make this special? So I take heads of the baby bok choy or Shanghai bok choy, cut them in half, and slather them with a combination of butter and miso paste. That looks so and then good. I, yeah, and then I just cook those on the grill alongside whatever I'm already making, maybe some grilled salmon, some burgers, and it just caramelizes onto the bok choy and gives you this flavor you're not quite used to from that vegetable. I love the idea of the smoky flavor from the grill imparting itself on to a vegetable you might not have thought of in that capacity. You have right. a thing for kohlrabi, too, if I've read well. Um, and that is definitely one of the brassicas that I think are maybe more foreign to many of us. So can you make us kohlrabi lovers? Sure. Oh, I, and I, that's that's the perfect way to put it. I do have a thing for kohlrabi. A thing for kohlrabi. My kids are like, what's with the kohlrabi? Um, <laughs> first of all, one of the most delicious ways to eat kohlrabi is raw. So right off the bat, it's one of the easiest things you could try if you've never tried it before. I think it's so delicious. Just peel the outside layer, slice it, and just serve it with a dip, you know, on a crudite platter with a little olive oil and salt, maybe even a squeeze of lemon juice. I also like to julienne the kohlrabi and use it in a slaw. So I use kohlrabi and the stems of the broccoli and an Asian vinaigrette. It has tamari, sesame oil, red pepper flakes, and it's just this unusual way to serve a new vegetable, but it still seems very familiar. It reminds me of the broccoli slaw package that we could shortcut and buy in the supermarket today. Yes. Which, by the way, I think was sort of an introduction to broccoli stems to those that might not have known that that's the best part of the broccoli. I have to say, that's my favorite textural crunch. It's my favorite part of the broccoli, too. <laughs> it's the best crunch. I have memories of experiences at a sushi bar my mom took me to when I was a little girl, and they would peel the exterior of the broccoli stem and then leave you sort of little trunks, little bites of one or two inch broccoli stems to dip in QP mayonnaise, you know, the uh, mm -hmm. Asian style mayonnaise that's real bright with acid. And I always remember having a fondness for stems. And I would love for you to come back um, as your book Brassicas continues to rise in popularity, so much so for its quality and, and the beauty of the book, but because the New York Times loves you, I'm hoping you will come back and you will talk with us about how to use it up, because I think that the stems of many of these vegetables are sort of the same concept of nose-to-tail eating, and I would love to have an in-depth conversation with you about what we're not using and what we should be when it comes to those fabulous flavors and textures. I would love to have that conversation. Okay, it's that's, a good one, one, right? That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Okay, and then last but not least, spicy soba noodles with wilted watercress on my menu tonight. Oh, great. Yes. I, I love the idea of wilting greens, watercress, arugula, sort of that spicy flavor. And you still get the spicy flavor, but sometimes that little bit of wilting is all you need to take off the extra edge, and mm. it leaves it perfectly peppery. Yeah, fabulous flavor. Um, certainly inspiring you to find new vegetable friends in the kitchen. It is a book that gives brassicas, 
their due. Brassicas, Cooking the World's Healthiest Vegetables, the cookbook released by Laura B. Russell, getting New York Times acclaim. You can learn more about Laura and find recipes and information on her book at Laura B. Russell, double S, double L, laurabrussell.com. And you can find an excerpted recipe from the book Brassicas posted at chefjamie.com with a direct link to Amazon so that you can bring the book into your kitchen. Laura, it was a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your passion. I can't wait to have you back on. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. As always, the delicious conversation continues right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't touch your dial. We're planning for July 4th feasting, and we do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. In 1989, Tom Douglas, along with his wife and partner Jackie Cross, opened his first and flagship restaurant. It is 25 years later, and they have 15 successful Seattle establishments. The 2012 Outstanding Restaurateur, named by the James Beard Foundation, Tom Douglas is Seattle's best-known chef restaurateur. He has two pizzerias, a killer bakery called Dahlia, which I love, Edda's with the best salmon and cornbread pudding you'll ever have, a Greek spot, a tavern, a seafood bar, a biscuit shop, and other eateries all over town. The man knows how to feed people. He has graced this show before to share his cookbook releases, and he's back to dish. And I am so delighted. Tom Douglas, in your radio. Welcome, chef. Hey, it's a thrill to be here, Jamie. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for coming back on. I always love when you stop by. Okay, July 4th is just days away now, Chef. And I wondered, I had um, done a little recent research on your newest culinary passions, and you always have a, a favorite ingredient seasonally, I know. But do you have a secret love for hoisin sauce? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how seasonal that is, but I, I love it on pretty much everything and have used it on pretty much everything because uh, I make a hoisin barbecue sauce. So mm-hmm. this particular time of year, uh, you know, to me it's completely interchangeable with anything uh, classic American or, or Tex-Mex kind of style barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I just mix it with orange juice and ginger and, and um, rice vinegar and lots of garlic uh, and, you know, it's it's pretty sweet to begin with. Hoisin is basically fermented soybean paste. So uh, if you really want to go out and make your own, you start with miso maybe and, and move on from there. Uh, uh, but it's just it's just one of those delicious classic kind of Chinese sauces. Mm. Most people, yes. if you've never had it, you've probably first experienced it if you've had Peking duck right. uh, on the little uh, flour pancakes or mushu pork. You know, you get a little bit mm. of hoisin to kind of drizzle in. Or now you'll see it oftentimes in Vietnamese pho shops, the little beef noodle soup shops, yes. to, to uh, kind of flavor your broth with. I think it's a great pantry staple because it just absolutely exudes umami. And mm-hmm. it, it definitely satisfies that salty, savory bite that we're looking for. And I've been known to just brush it straight from the bottle on a burger or to glaze a pork loin. I love the idea of using it as a base. It is to the Chinese culture what, let's say, fish sauce is to the Vietnamese. It's that sort of standard staple, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and uh, and for us, ketchup. I mean, we, we yes. often call it the Chinese ketchup. So. Chinese ketchup. I like that. Um, tell us what you're going to be grilling for July 4th, will you? Well, you know, we're in the midst of Copper River salmon season, yes. and I think of Copper River salmon as the salmon that 
saved wild salmon in this world. Mm. And maybe that's an extrapolation that's gone a bit too far, but I mean it in the best way. You know, when that first, when I first heard about Copper River in the early 80s, late 70s, uh, salmon was salmon. As a matter of fact, this fish that we now prize so much was all going to cannery fish. So somebody recognized it finally. Somebody uh, taught the fishermen in that area how to catch it correctly and to bleed it right off the boat and to pack the bellies with ice and to get it right to market, uh, not just two days later, but right there a couple of hours later. And we learned how fabulous wild fish can be. It's true. And we have learned since then, since, since the Copper River explosion, that Yukon River and the Columbia River, and everyone's got, along our coast anyway, has their own rivers to get salmon from. But to me, I have a special place in my heart for the mm. Copper River. So that's what I'm serving this 4th of July, just beautiful sockeye Copper River skin on because skin's where all the delicious fattiness is. Yes. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I'll do something very simple. It's still cherry season for us. And I'll make a little black pepper and Bing cherry relish with maybe some grilled onions in it. Save me a place at the table, please. Absolutely. I will say on my last visit to Seattle, I would not have missed a Tom Douglas experience. And we sat down at Etta's and your signature dish continues to get great acclaim. And it too is salmon, the pit roasted salmon with the grilled shiitake relish. Mm -hmm. And I've actually posted the recipe on my website online. I hope you don't mind. Not a bit. As you've shared it before, it was in Tom Douglas's Seattle Kitchen, one of your early cookbooks, in fact. And I love the shiitakes and I've been doing them in a perforated pan on the grill. And Mm -hmm. it really applies itself very well to multiple cooking methods. Well, it does. It's a woodsy flavored mushroom to begin with. Yes. So it's, it's one of the reasons I love shiitake is that they actually have mm. a distinct flavor. flavor. And then when you grill them over a wood fire or charcoal briquettes, then you've even gone someplace else with them. And mm. it takes you out kind of like if you're camping, you know, mm-hmm. out in the woods somewhere, you get that it sense does. that you're around the fireplace. For sure. I know that the tried and true dishes like the Edda's salmon will remain on the menu forever, I hope. But I wondered if you have some new menu items or something new at one of your bevy of restaurants that might inspire us? Absolutely. Up here, Petrolli Sol is a big deal, so we love cooking whole Petrolli Sol. But at this time of year, halibut is where many of our customers head, especially people who don't like a fishy fish. They love halibut. And uh, one of the things I'm doing with that is a grilled halibut. And I have rediscovered Lovage. I don't know how you feel about Lovage, Jamie, but... Lovage. It's got a little bit of a celery-ness to its nature, but it's also it's just got a lovely aromatic quality. You know, celery is one-dimensional. Lovage takes celery to a whole nother level. Yeah, I don't and think many people know about Lovage. I mean, I know of it, but it's not something that is prevalent or available and that um, some people know well. It, it is yeah. a perennial plant. It is. It's easy to grow. Everyone wants to know what's new and what's hot. And that's true. it's what's old. That, you know, that's an ancient <laughs> herb. used in many uh, medicinal ways, and uh, I just think it's kind of fun. Hmm. So we're using a lot of lovage. uh, So take the halibut, just grill it. uh, And then um, one of the things that I like to do with halibut, because it's so light, is I make a little fish broth out of its bones. Uh And so uh, when you do that, and you can even serve it chilled, uh, you put the fish broth in the bottom, and then just this time of year, you know, Johnny Jump Ups, uh, sage blossoms, borage blossoms, lovage, you just kind of pick little bits of herbs and drop them and let them float on the on the bra- on the little court bouillon that you made out of the bones. Yes. And serve it with the kind of seared halibut and 
uh, really you got, again, a, a nice charcoal grilled dish, mm. but in a whole different way than having the heaviness of just everything grilled on the grill. Yeah, really light and lovely. We're all coming to your house for July <laughs> 4th, Tom. I'd love to just take this conversation to a restaurant conversation. Your mission statement has always been, and I quote, deliciousness served with graciousness. And you have, I think, proven the epitome of that statement, as have the over a thousand employees that you have in Seattle that have made for a culinary Mecca. And I wonder how the restaurant scene has changed, in your opinion, since you started in 1989. Oddly, that's the area that has changed the least. You know, food fads come all the time, and you change and adjust, and you might be, you know, cooking styles might change. Like, you know, we haven't had a stock on our back burner for 36 hours in a very long time. <laughs> styles change. But when it comes to our business model, as far as how we treat our staff or how we run our company or the expectations that we have of ourselves for you, the customer, you know, we always, our, our staff has to be able to look you in the eye, the customer, and say, this is my joint. And uh, if you can say that, if you can be proud enough to call this your joint, uh, you're going to get um, a service level that uh, I'm really proud of. And uh, we take it even steps further, which is, you know, we want to be profitable, but we want to be profitable enough to give back to our community. One of the things that served us best, I think, over the years is really becoming part of the Seattle scene. And that's uh, part of not just the cooking scene, but, you know, we are at the food bank every week. Uh, we are part of the fabric of our town. And, uh, our employees, our customers know that. Uh, mm-hmm. Having our farm helps with that. Uh, it is just how we operate, and that's probably the the least thing that's changed, you know, uh, in our company since we started 25 years ago. I, I think the service is so generous and hospitable, and your food continues to certainly set a trend as you speak about trends that come and go. But you are always on the cutting edge for other culinarians across the country to learn from your prowess. And I've always been a fan. That's just what happens when your job is your passion, yes, your hobby, yes. uh, your everything. So uh, That's true. I'm not a big believer that your job should be separate from your life. Uh, I live the restaurants every day and, and uh, that's what makes them so personal. And why they call you the emperor of Seattle. What's next? <laughs> is there a new restaurant coming in the Tom Douglas empire? Oh, you betcha. And hopefully you're going to come up and uh, maybe teach a class. I bet you have that in you. But, uh, our I would love school, it. Thank uh, you. Yeah, our new cooking school opens in three weeks. It's called the Hot Stove Society. And, uh, you know, flights to Seattle are pretty darn cheap. <laughs> uh, you can come up for a weekend, stay at the Andra Hotel, and take some classes at our, our new cooking school and eat How at exciting. our new Swedish bar and our Fabulous. new cantina mm. and all sorts of things. You're always up to something new. I can't wait to come to Hot Stove Society. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for celebrating July 4th with us. And for certainly um, sharing your culinary passion, um, but for making us all so very hungry. We certainly uh, do appreciate it. Thank you so much. And happy birthday, America. There we go. And very happy birthday to America. Thank you, Tom, so much. He is Tom Douglas and his 15 successful Seattle establishments prove why he is one of the biggest culinary thinkers on this show across the country and certainly uh, most respected around the world. It is his unique business acumen and his true talent that makes him an outstanding restaurateur. And you heard it here first. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. There's more delicious conversation right after this. Don't go away. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio planning for a Stars and Stripes shindig. Well, we're satisfying your sweet tooth right now in advance of the July 4th celebration. So listen up. Jeffrey Steingarten, the food critic for Vogue magazine, says that Cool House makes, and I quote, the best ice cream sandwiches in the world. What is a cool house, you ask? Well, a cool house is an ice cream sandwich food truck, a converted postal van with chrome rims and a pink top, and they're popping up in a city near you. Natasha Case and her business partner, Freya Estrella, sent out to combine their passion for architecture and ice cream when they created Cool House, an ice cream sandwich truck that has been an extraordinary success. Now, with 11 trucks in L.A., Austin, Dallas, and New York City, and a 12th soon to come, storefronts too, and a relentless march nationwide into supermarkets, they are sharing their secrets. Ice cream sandwiches reinvented, I like to call it, in a new cookbook called The Cool House Ice Cream Book. And Natasha is here to share her love of ice cream and teach us how to create inspired ice cream sandwiches just in time for the July 4th weekend of merriment. And I'm glad to have you, Natasha. Welcome. Thanks so much. It's so great to be here. Of course. You do like to push the boundaries, don't you, in not only your very artsy life, but in taking the ice cream sandwich to a whole new level. And we'd love a a sort of sneak peek um, into your story, because it really has been an extraordinary success. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much. We do really like to push the envelope, and that's a big part of the impetus with why we started, I think, is to make, obviously, a product that we could stand behind, that we would want to eat ourselves from scratch, ice cream and cookies, using the best ingredients we can get our hands on and featuring many cool local ingredients, seasonal items, but I think also really bringing in some unique character in it. We were really one of the pioneers of savory desserts. Our brown butter candied bacon ice cream was one of the first kind of bacon uh, ice creams. We took that one all the way to supermarkets, and that's a first ever for uh, grocery bacon ice cream. We really like to just have fun with it and um, surprise people with what we can make work. Yeah, and I love the idea of bacon, and I love the idea of corn that you're incorporating today. And It's all about, I think, the mastermind of creating the sandwich. When it comes to an ice cream sandwich, there are so many extraordinary things about them. They're handheld. They're individual. You don't have to share. You can make them in advance and serve them to a crowd. Let's start with the cookie, if you would. What encompasses the ice cream? What is the secret to the perfect handheld vessel, if you would like to call it that? Yeah, but the cookies are particular for us. They're great cookies on their own, but they're also ice cream sandwich cookies. I would say you definitely want a combination of soft but chewy and pliable. It's mm-hmm. got to be soft to bite through and get to that sandwich without hurting your teeth, but pliable enough that it's also going to bend and the ice cream's not just going to smoosh out of the sides. Mm-hmm. For that, we use a lot of brown sugar. That gives it a nice kind of caramely, chewy component. In fact, our chocolate chip cookies only use brown sugar, no white granulated. I love that you mentioned brown sugar. I actually did a piece here on the radio uh, a long while back where we talked about the difference in the textural end result of granulated sugar versus brown sugar in any baking. And you definitely get the moisture from the brown sugar to keep a pliable cookie. And I think that's the best tip, that an ice cream sandwich needs a cookie that you can chew on to really make for that sort of textural heaven. And brown sugar is technically only half as sweet as white sugar. So if you're going to have two cookies and ice cream in the center, 
the fact that you can sort of reduce the sweetness but not lose that delicious caramely chewiness that you're talking about is actually like such a winner for an ice cream sandwich. Yeah, definitely so. Um, talk about ice cream if you would then. You make an eggless base, which I'm sure uh, definitely pleases many in your crowd. Um, and the base itself can be either ice cream or gelato by definition. And I would love if you would differentiate the two. We actually have in the book both an egg and eggless base to kind of speak to, to both sides. The eggless is a little bit lighter, Philly style, and also requires less prep time. The egg base is a French style, and the egg is really good as a stabilizer and sort of bringing the ice cream all together. As far as the difference with ice cream and gelato, it has to do partially with the equipment that you're using, but generally gelato has to do with a very, very small amount of air being churned into the ice cream, but then also lower butter fat. And that's why I think so many Americans fall in love with it in Europe is that you get a denser flavor, but you don't feel that you're eating something as rich. And I love that idea, too, because I think it lends itself to the flavor infusions. So you get this sort of lighter, airier texture, and then that flavor really pops. So Fruit Loops and milk ice cream, there's that cereal thing again, right? You actually soak the cereal of choice in the base before you make the ice cream, whatever method you choose to use. Exactly. In that recipe, we do. Mm. In others like Whiskey and Lucky Charms, also known as Irish Breakfast, (laughs) the Lucky Charms go in after, basically as you're almost pulling it out of the machine. And uh, that one also creates, similar to the Fruit Loops milk, just a beautiful spiral, almost psychedelic-looking color with the Mm. melting uh, Lucky Charms marshmallows. Love it. I can't wait to make spicy pineapple cilantro chili ice cream. The Kit Kat ice cream made me like you even more, just for the record. And then for the July 4th holiday, we know your trucks across the country always have something new and different, and that brings corn into play. What is the special for the weekend? Here at the shops and trucks, starting in L.A. and then going to Austin and and New York and Dallas, we are doing a seasonal sweet corn, Mm. uh, which is like a corn puree into the base of the ice cream. And then we do like a blueberry reduction swirl. Mm. And it's just such a good, like, you feel like you're a kid again for not eating that flavor. It's just a nostalgic paradise. Okay. Well, if you could deliver one to the studio Uh, right now, I'd be very grateful. Uh, uh We've actually posted excerpted recipes from the new book release that is spreading like wildfire across the country. It is called The Cool House Ice Cream Book. And from a beat up postal van turned food truck, Cool House has rocketed to a national brand. Yahoo called it the best ice cream in America. It is inventive sandwiches, cool creations, and it is Natasha Case and Freya Estreller's great success story. Even Roy Choi is a fan. We love him on this show. Congratulations on all your success, Natasha. Thank you for sharing your passion and a little bit of deliciousness and a very, uh, very good July 4th weekend to you. Thank you so much. It was my absolute pleasure. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I hope that you found inspiration and scintillating conversation and that you'll check out chefjamie.com for recipes galore and all of the information heard on this show. I'd like to leave you with my last bite. And seeing that July 4th weekend is coming up starting this coming Friday, there's lots of July 4th Stars and Stripes celebratory recipes on the website. But what about a sweet ending? What will you plan to serve for dessert? Well, milkshakes are that innocent pleasure that transports us back to our childhood, right? It's the quintessential kid's favorite. 
I will say that the nostalgic drink has come back into style and hotter than ever because it sort of got a makeover. In essence, quite frankly, it got drunk. Yes, the boozy milkshake is all the rage. So I thought I would leave you with that as my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary information heard on this show every week at the end of our hour. How do you make a boozy milkshake that will wow a crowd? Well, you can consider the very simple concept of just spiking with your favorite spirit or liqueur, a classic vanilla or strawberry or chocolate shake. You just lace it with your favorite spirit. But why not come up with a real zesty concoction? I like to make a a basic mix when it comes to a milkshake. I do a third of a cup of milk with two cups of vanilla ice cream, and I'll blend it in the blender until it's smooth, and then I'll refreeze it so that when I go to make my boozy milkshakes, I can actually put that creamy mixture into the blender with the liqueur, and it still stays sort of thick and viscous and gives you that wonderfully rich milkshake quality. Here are some flavor combinations that might tempt your palate. Across the country, we're seeing these ice cream cocktails, as they're being called, in bars and restaurants across the country, and these are my favorites. There's one actually out of London. I love this idea of uh, caramelized bananas and rum to sort of simulate the flavor of bananas foster. In New York, they do hot fudge and bourbon, which I love too. And then here in Southern California, I've been known maybe once or twice to make what I call a chocolate mint milkshake because everyone needs a box of thin mint Girl Scout cookies lying around. And with just a dash of peppermint schnapps and the cookies left chunky but blended in to a good creamy milkshake, that is what I call dessert. I think that's the perfect way to kick off July 4th weekend, and I hope that yours is filled with family and friends and lots of fabulous food. Until next Sunday, I thank you for listening. I'll see you at chefjamie.com, and I'm signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.